With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, Ted Podcast. I'm John Miller along with Steve Dace. Let's talk a little Iowa football records. I, I've taken a stab at this every year since, I don't know, 1998. And I wish I could tell you that I had a current spreadsheet of how well I've done uh, through the years relative to predicting records. I don't. I probably have a spreadsheet somewhere in one of my Google Drives that has a decent start on this. I just haven't updated it, I guess. I'm not all that concerned anymore with reconciliation since we basically reconcile on a weekly basis with this podcast. Um, but maybe I can find that up and throw it out there some one of these days. I'm sure I could I could find the work. But Steve, I, I kind of stopped a few years back. I, I used to go through every game. I'd write up a couple of paragraphs like you know Iowa gets you know one point game at the end and somebody kicks a field goal to win Iowa 24, Penn State 23, something like that. And it's like man, this is all like you know, kind of fiction, fantasy a little bit, even though I think people kind of enjoy that this time of year. Any football is good football. So then I started giving score predictions, and then I'm like, this just seems kind of silly too. Although I think score predictions can be indicative somewhat of the way your team typically plays. But it's 20 years into the Ferentz era now. Kirk, Kirk basically tossed out the, you know, the Rosetta Stone. Kirk O'Brien uh, a few months ago tossed out the Rosetta Stone. Not that we needed it to interpret Iowa football, but it just basically confirmed everything we thought that this is the, this is a defensive first program and this is offense, do no harm and win close games. I mean, the, the numbers right. tell us that. So me going out and looking and averaging up my score predictions and say, wow, I've kind of got Iowa winning by an average score of 28 to 24 for the seat. Duh. That's how they roll. So, so what I've done is I've gone to a point where I basically look at their opponent, factoring how well I think their opponent is and where the game's played and where it's played on the schedule. And I put a, like a winning percentage next to the game. And when it's all said and done, I kind of have a feel for what I think the record's going to be. And these numbers may not add up. It's not going to come into a little bow for everybody, but then I'll give a, a prediction. So I'll start with Miami of Ohio. It's at home. It's the opener. This is the highest percentage victory chance I give Iowa on the season. I give them a 90% chance of winning. I think it's probably higher than that. But I've seen, you know, some okay to not great, Mac teams once come into Kinnick Stadium and win a game. I didn't think they had any business winning, so I don't put it at 100%. I've got it at 90%. And maybe you tell me if you think it's too high, too low, or if I'm not giving these opponents enough respect or too much as we go along. Okay. Uh, I think it's higher. You know, I'd, I'd put this at about 98 to 99%. I think it's, you know, my numbers say overall it's a down year in the Mac. And, and this would be, if they didn't have divisions, uh, the Red Hawks this year would, would be what amounts to a second division team. So I think it's much higher. And, and there's another aspect. I had a uh, somebody in the handicapping community come to me and ask me about this game because they wanted to lay the tw- – I was, I think, right now is favored by 21 and a half. 
And but they're as you pointed out, they're a little skittish about Iowa's iffy performances at times in these opening week games. And right. and I said this time I don't I'm not concerned about it. And the reason being is Iowa State is not the week after this game. So it's the opening game. It's a night game. Um, you've had nine months in between games. There's nothing to save for next week for. So uh, I think you'll get max lit. Uh, focus and effort from Iowa for that, especially given that electric environment. And I think it's a name the score Saturday. Okay. Um, the next game is Rutgers at home. Be interested to see your thoughts on the positioning of this game. Um, I, I think it's a 75% winning percentage. I, I will say that this is my third highest percentage uh, that I have on this list. Um, it's a Big Ten opponent. That's why I don't have it a little bit higher. Although, uh, you know, I, I think to me 75 feels about right. Maybe maybe it could be 80 to 85, but I'm going with 75. I think your win percentage is low. I think the cover percentage, given what I think the line on this game will be, if I'm right about what Iowa does to Miami of Ohio, and this is your classic tweener game with the road trip to Iowa State next that I, I could definitely see this, uh, um, you know, when they tried to emulate Raiders of the Lost Ark when we were kids, they had those two shows. The one whose theme song you love, Tales of the Gold Monkey, right? Oh, yes. And and the other one was Bring Him Back Alive. Do you remember that show? Okay. I've heard it. I don't think I watched it. Tales of the Gold Monkey was on ABC. Bring Him Back Alive was on CBS. This is a Bring Him Back Alive game. I think this is a game where if you're an eye running back, you're going to get a lot of work, grind the clock. Uh, I think Ference is totally content with winning this thing like 28 to 10, you know, something like that. Okay. At 31 seven and, you know, just get the hell out of Dodge and shut her down with a big in-state rivalry game next week. So I think the odds of Iowa winning are precipitously higher than 75%. I think the odds of them covering probably a lot lower than that. All right. Game three. And what do you, what do you think about Rutgers for Iowa? right before Iowa State, when the Cyclones also have a bye? If Iowa's essentially getting a bye, just one with more of a risk of injury. That's all. I mean, Rutgers, you know, those guys have scholarships too. They'll play hard. I think they covered like their last five games of 2018, but they were also way undervalued in the market because of how terrible they looked before that. You know, they come into the season with the longest losing streak in college football. They started off 1-0 last year and then won their, lost their last 11. At Big Ten Media Days, I think you and I got more inter, you know, more action from the media than Chris Ash, and we weren't invited. So, I mean, I, I I listen to Michigan reporters talk about him routinely having no one talking to him, uh, or only two or three people at his podium. So, um, I, I I think if you're gonna have to play a game or a conference game, it's about the perfect scenario. So, and that's another reason why. I think you're going to see a lot of the running game. A lot of bodies are going to play, and let's just get out of there with a W. Iowa's never really been about style points anyway under Kirk Ferentz, and I think this game will be the embodiment. The Rutgers game will be the embodiment of that. All right, the next one next week at Iowa State. Um, maybe, debatably, arguably, potentially, definitively, the best beef Iowa State defense of my of my you know, lifetime of watching Iowa football, maybe back in the 70s. Um, you know, I know they had some good teams there. 
But this is a really, really good defense. Uh, this is a quarterback um, that that got things done. Brock Purdy last year threw for 2,200 yards, 16 to 7 touchdown interception ratio. And, I mean, how many starts did that guy have? Six or seven or eight? I mean. Yeah, the second year in a row, Matt Campbell pulled a Brian freaking Kelly and reinv- at, at, at Cincinnati and reinvented his team with a third-string quarterback in the middle of the season. Now, Kelly once did it in the middle of a game, all right? But second year in a row that that um, that he has pulled that off in the middle of a year. It's insane what he's done. That middle of the game, was that against South Florida on the road? Yeah, South Florida on the road, yeah. Yeah, for so, there's just some stupid things that even stick out in my non-savant brain, but that one did because – we both we both had a man crush hard on uh, Brian Kelly after that one. Um, th- this you know the state the environment at Iowa State is a fantastic environment. Iowa fans like to to talk smack, and I once upon a time uh, tossed a little bit of that myself. But it, it is a great place to go to tailgate to watch a game. Has a good pro football field, and some people prefer, you know, the uh, the quaintness of the the neighborhood and then Iowa City. And I'm not just because you. It's kind of like having uh, two kids, and they're, they're, I got sisters. And if you comp- if I compliment my 16 year old, my 10 year old will say, "Well, don't you think I'm smart too?" Exactly. And, and and that's what it. And I'm just so tired of it. Yeah. Even though once upon a time I really dished it out, and you know I probably. Warped a lot of you, and I apologize actually. Um, but you know, it, it is what it was. It was for the sake of entertainment once upon a time. But just because you compliment Iowa State doesn't mean you're you're speaking down about Iowa. I just think Iowa State has a great thing going. They've got a great environment. They're selling tickets at an all-time record level. Fan support's fantastic, and it is loud in there. The last time I was there on the field as a member of the media was to 2005 when. The cannon went off, and I thought I got shot. I I, I had, had enough after that. Um, and then I went there as a fan a few times. Uh, Julian Edelman, when he played quarterback for uh, Kent State. Yeah. Um, I was there for that one. It's just a great place, and it's very inhospitable. It's gonna be late in the late mid to late afternoon game. I I I give Iowa State a fifty five percent chance to win. I give Iowa forty five percent chance to win. I think that's about right. I mean, those kinds of odds. You're essentially saying Iowa State's about a three to a three to four point favorite in your mind, um, and I think that's pretty fair. It's tough to beat a coach as good as Matt Campbell so many times in a row. And you know, last year heading into that game, you know, one of the one of the points of emphasis we had on our podcast in the for football season last year is is you know I learned a harsh lesson the year before about trends because you know how much I love my trends and my data. But but I learned last year, uh, I, and both in my in my professional walk and miscasting mis misforecasting the 2016 election after having pre I, I accurately forecasted like the previous four in a row, and then the 2017 football season I, I learned both times the fr- the trend is your friend until it runs into human nature. Human nature always trumps the data, and. And so all the trends last year said to pick Iowa State, but we ran into a, a new thing with, with human nature in that game, with Iowa State having the previous game canceled and 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 not and having all of its preparation and its and its timing and body clock and schedule, all of that thrown off, um, with Iowa being perfectly in rhythm and hosting the game 
that I, I threw all those trends out, took Iowa to cover, and they did. It wasn't the prettiest game in the world, but it, it, it was a game that you would expect between two relatively evenly matched teams, but one of them in perfect rhythm and playing at home, and the other one essentially playing what amounted to an opening week game with the other team having the advantage of getting the rust off the previous week. So barring something like that unforeseen, you can, it's, it's just tough unless you can out-athlete him. It's just tough to beat a coach that good that many times. And what I was going to see this year is something they haven't ever seen before. At least, at least five of the top six defensive players in the Big 12 are at Iowa State. Lima and Jaquan Bailey, the two defensive linemen. One of them in the, in the interior, the other coming off the edge. Um, when you look at, uh, Marcel Spears and Mike Rose at linebacker, Greg Eisworth, the safety was the Big 12 defensive newcomer of the year. I mean, I, I could even make a case that those are the five best defensive players in the Big 12, regardless of position. But let's assume somebody's at Oklahoma or Texas that we don't know about. And so they're in one of those spots. But those five guys are consensus all Big 12 players on the defensive side of the ball. I, I don't know. You know, I've been, I have been either following a fan of or closely and closely around the Iowa State football program. Since 2000, so we're going on almost 20 years. That would this would be the 20th season. They've never had anything like that since I've been around. And if you go back to the the era prior to that, that was essentially of the lost era, where you know you had Jim Walden's all white chocolate triple option backfield, and um, Troy Davis is running for 2,000 yards, and they still suck. And Jim Kreiner is going on probation, and they still suck. So I I don't know what their defenses looked like in the 70s with. Johnny Majors and Earl Bruce, the last time they had teams that were nationally ranked. But as long as you and I have been around this program or, or followed it or cared, we've never seen them have defensive talent like that. So that's going to be something different. Also, the quarterback, Brock Purdy, is something a little bit different, too, in that his strength, really, uh, he's got two strengths as a quarterback. And he's a mini-tua. He's a mini-tua to me. He doesn't have Tua's physical um, overall physical gifts. But the kind of game he plays is very similar to Tua Tagovailoa, meaning his ability to anticipate defenses and then the touch that he puts on the football for accuracy, you know, that's why I think he's a poor man's Tua Tagovailoa. Their, their frames are similar. The way they play is similar. Uh, he just has some uncanny intangibles. If, if this was the old Madden game where they gave you the cards with the, with the player cards, you know, his arm strength would be like a seven and, and, and stuff. But, but all of this stuff, leadership, accuracy, um, decision making would all be eight or nines. So I, I think that that they also now have a quarterback who is comfortable throwing the ball into those pockets that Iowa's defense traditionally forces other teams to beat them with. So I think this will be, I think when you look at the matchup, I think therefore Iowa State physically matches up better than they have since Campbell got here. And then all the intangibles of playing at home, it's the thing, it's really the, the last remaining realistic notch on the, on the belt that Matt Campbell can put, um, you know, his stamp on the program is, is winning the Cyhawk game. So I, I think your odds there are about, are about a hundred percent correct. Old habits die hard. You said that, you know, it's really hard to beat a coach as good as Matt Campbell as many times in a row. And I'm thinking to myself for a second, is he as good as Matt Campbell? What's he done? 
But then I, I as you talked longer, I kind of went through it. Uh, and then I pulled out Phil Seals magazine to corroborate what I was thinking. Um, when, when Campbell arrived at Iowa State, the previous three seasons, Iowa State's defense, under Paul Rhodes, a defensive-minded coach, allowed 36, 38.8, and 32.7 points per game. Um, yeah, it's the Big 12. They score a lot of points. Matt Campbell's first year, 31.3, which was the lowest they'd had in, in the previous three years. Year two for Campbell, 20.9. That's unconscionable in that league that has yes. so many high power Especially offense. in that league, yes. Then in year three last year, 22.9. Still another phenomenal number. And, and, and these next few numbers I'm going to give you, I think speaks to why Iowa State is a team that has been oftentimes overmatched in this series the last five to six years physically and why I don't think they are that way anymore and they've built themselves to be a a dichotomy, to be a difference in that league, to be the yang to everybody's yang. When Campbell arrived there, Iowa State had averaged the previous three years allowed on defense 5.4 yards per carry, 5.7 yards per carry, and then 4.7 yards per carry. In Campbell's first year, it was five. You can't you can't turn around the defensive line that quickly. Year two, it dropped to 3.6. And year three, last year, that number dropped to 3.3. Iowa State has typically not been able to hold up at the point of attack against Iowa. Oh, by the way, what, what are Iowa's numbers the last few years? Last year, Iowa's number, 3.3, the same as Iowa State. So I think the matchup, now obviously they're going to have to find somebody to replace Akeem Butler and his 22 yards of catch, which, I mean, here's a, here's a theme, spoiler, they're not going to. But I think that Iowa fans, if you're not taking this one seriously by now, you better. Because this is a really, really good football program. All time, I think this stat is correct, all time the Iowa State program has eight wins over teams ranked in the top ten of the AP poll. And three of them have come since Matt Campbell became the coach. It's it's really incredible what he's done because the 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 the, th- the two seasons before he took over they were two and ten, three and nine, and they were three and nine in his first year. Last year eight and five. The year before that eight and five. Matt Campbell is nineteen and nineteen after three years as Iowa State's head coach. I would be willing to bet you that hasn't happened in the first three years of an Iowa State head coach since at least I don't know the seventies, if not. Forever. Well, Dan McCarty, Dan McCarty, winning as, they're winning as coach ever. And I, you know, you're always really good about pointing out when I'm, when I go on on a limb and I'm right about stuff. I was dead wrong about this. I didn't like the hire at the time because he didn't build the Toledo, co- the Toledo program. It's a, to me, it reminded me a little bit of hire. It's like hiring a basketball coach from Butler. You know, unless you're hiring Thad Mata, who built that program with Barry Collier. It's been kind of iffy, you know. For every Brad, you get sometimes you get Brad Stevens, and sometimes you get what Iowa got stuck with. Okay, so when you're hiring a guy from the from the it program in the mid majors who didn't build that league or build that team, you don't really know if he can build the program or not, or if he just walked into a situation where in the league that they were in at the competition level they were at, they had all the advantages already, and you know he just was the coaching equivalent of a game manager. And I I thought that about him. You know, the Toledo program has been, the has been, uh, in terms of consistent winning, the best team in the MAC for, you know, a couple of decades now. Well, 
On that one, I was dead wrong. Well, I like to point out when you're right because most people always point out when you're wrong. So if you want to <laughs> self-immolate yourself, that's fine. Dan McCarney was six and twenty-seven after his first three years. Dan McCarney's best three-year win total was twenty-three wins. Matt Campbell, a total rebuild job, is nineteen and nineteen after three years. I just actually find that remarkable, considering the history there. So. Um, Strap it on. Uh, next up after that one for Iowa State, Iowa is a Middle Tennessee State. I give them an 85% chance. Seems like a possibility for a letdown. I don't know what the line will be on this one, but I certainly wouldn't want to bet it. Yeah, it's a terrible spot. Your classic sandwich game between Iowa State and a road trip at Michigan. Middle Tennessee has been good. Uh, a mid-major program. Brett Stockstill uh, and Rick Stockstill, the coach-quarterback duo, has won a lot of games there, including eight last year. But uh, and they got, I think they got to the Conference USA Championship game and lost, I think, to UAB. But you know the, that quarterback is gone now, and a lot of the other playmakers are gone too. Uh, they opened the season at Michigan. Uh, they're playing a tougher non-conference schedule. I mean, they they they're going to go through a bit of a gauntlet before they get to Iowa. So I could see that also maybe being a, a bit of a beat-up football team. Another classic Iowa, just get the hell out of their game. You know, so I don't know that I'd be laying a, a bunch of points uh, in this one, but I think your win percentage is, is of 85 is correct, if not a tad low. After that for Iowa is a game, uh, against Michigan. This game is at Michigan. Um, I, I know a lot of people want to bring up why well, was done well against Michigan the last several times, et cetera. There isn't a player on the roster right now who's ever played at Michigan Stadium. So those kind of things, that's great. You know, Iowa and Michigan have had very similar styles prior to, um, well, prior to Rich Rodriguez, obviously. But, you know, I, Iowa had some answers for Rich Rod. They had some answers for Michigan then. And then Jim Harbaugh came in. I think they played one time, and that was in Iowa City. Michigan was very high ranked. And Michigan wanted number, to play. Number two in the country, in fact. Yeah. Michigan wanted to play big boy ball, and, and you're basically coming to play phone booth football with Iowa. And that gives Iowa a chance, even though Michigan's individual talent on the field athletically is, you know, the individuals, if you added up those things, they're better than Iowa's individuals. But, you know, Iowa found some mismatches with Akron Wadley, and, and they won the game. They put themselves in a position to win. Michigan making some big-time changes this year to their offense. Uh, at least that's what everybody believes, and they're probably going to. I don't think you'd be smoking everybody this far along. It would be to the detriment of your program. So I have this one as Iowa's lowest winning percentage chance of any game on the schedule. Uh, I have Iowa with a 35% chance to win this game. I think those odds are about right. And, and what you're saying here is you think Michigan – with 35% odds, you're expecting Michigan to be somewhere between a, a 10 and a 13 point favorite of the game. Yeah, yeah 10 yeah. is what I was saying. So, the, you know, all the things, I mean, I lived through all those. So all those things Iowa fans, <laughs> what you guys want to say about the, some, most, a lot of these previous matchups with Michigan are accurate. I mean, those things happened. The, the two things that I would be concerned about, if, about this game, if I were an Iowa fan, I mean, number one, as a Michigan fan, I, I don't know why we made Iowa the homecoming opponent. We have Rutgers at home the next week after the first conference road game. Isn't that supposed to be homecoming? So I, I, I almost wonder 
they would never admit this, but I almost wonder if they bypassed Rutgers and put homecoming on Iowa because they're sick and damn tired of losing to Iowa, and they wanted to stress, you know, um, the importance of that game. But the the two games, if, if we're going to go into the past, and and this the I get when your coach has been there for 20 years, it's all one era. So I get that totally. You know, um, if you go back, you know, I remember when you called me before the 2003 game and watched Michigan warming up. And I believe you said something to me along the lines of your wide receivers are bigger than our linebackers or something like that at the time. I recall that. Yes. And you were like, we got no shot. And Michigan came right out throwing the ball to those guys. I think went up like 14 to three. I haven't watched that game in a while. But oh, it, it like was, that. it was a boat race. It was on. And then inexplicably, they, they stopped throwing, punt. Them, right? Yeah. And they went oh, to the rugby punting and they stopped throwing yeah. to those guys. All right. Number one, that ain't going to happen in this offense, number one. And and we got probably the best three receivers on our team that we've had since that era. Um, and the other thing I'd worry about is the one time in this, you know, era where, where what you know, I would beat us, what would you guys be? It's like five or six in a row or something like that, or five out of six or five in a row. The, the one time that Michigan put it on Iowa in this era was the when Denard Robinson got hurt. It was Devin Gardner's second start. He had started the first the previous week at Minnesota and was Big Ten Player of the Week for his effort. His second start was the next week against Iowa, and he got Big Ten Player of the Week again. And he just threw the ball. They just spread it. Michigan just spread it out with a quarterback who could run but was more of a thrower. And he threw the football all over Iowa that day. That was in 2012. And that's that's what I'd be concerned about if I were an Iowa fan. Because this is not going to be phone booth football. right? Ben, ben Mason, our fullback, he's playing three technique at defensive tackle right now. You're not going to see a fullback. And this is, this is going to be different. And they're all in on this. Uh, and they're still going to be all in on it. You, I, I get if people are like, you know, are they going to really be all in on it in the middle of November when they got it when they're playing Michigan State in a sleet storm? Well, they might not be then, but that's not going to be the first Saturday in October. All right, so I would be. This will not be. Michigan's going to try to play Iowa's brand of football and and just be arrogant and say, well, we're going to do it with better players than you, which just kind of feeds into Iowa's whole chip on the shoulder narrative and. You know, because when that game back in 03, I can still remember, it was 15 years ago, I can still remember when that game turned. There was a play in that game where Michigan was playing well at the beginning of the game, and Marlon Jackson, I think it was, went after one of Iowa's uh, fullbacks or something and tried to get a personal foul on him to basically show, hey, you guys aren't going to bully us around like you did at the big house the previous year. And that guy got his helmet ripped off or something and came back at Marlon Jackson like, you know, what's your deal? And that like seemed to fire the whole. And, 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 and that's, that point. And, yeah. And that's when you're watching the old Rocky movies and all of a sudden you hear that ding. Yes. Matt Roth and the boys going crazy. And then somehow they find Razor Ramona Choa in the back right corner. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. Yes. So this is going to be a different style of play. This is going to be more along the lines of some of the Purdue styles and Iowa State styles that have given Iowa trouble in the past just with players that were a lot higher recruited than that. So this schematically, this is not going to line up with any precedent. 
And Iowa was good against those rich wide, wide teams because you had, you, you had, you, had, you know, Denard Robinson, who wasn't a great thrower. This is going to be totally different than that. So we'll see. I think those, yeah, odds, but I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be shocked if Iowa won because I've seen Iowa no, beat no. us enough times. But I think those odds are about right. Yeah, I mean, Iowa shifting to a four-two-five, I think, more is their base package. I mean, that that certainly helps. But a lot of teams um, that that run this this spread, um, they like to run out of you know single back sets. And I wish Iowa did more of that. You yep. know how it drives me freaking crazy. Um, it just you 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 have to. It just puts so much pressure on the linebackers. Next up for Iowa, uh, Penn State. Uh, Penn State, we talked about them a lot this offseason, a, a lot of attrition. Um, their quarterback is brand spanking new. I, I give Iowa a 65% chance of winning this game. I, I think that um, the Penn State's defense obviously keeps them in it. But I think Iowa wins this one by 3-6. to six. Well, now you're saying you say three to six, but that's a that's a that's a line that would say I was about a ten to twelve point favorite. However, they would never. There's like no scenario, barring a, a you know a airborne contagion, where a public market would make Iowa a ten to twelve point favorite over Penn State in a football game. All right, just that's just not the way lines work. But I could see Iowa winning this game by a margin like that. I I think this is kind of the reverse of the previous game. Where, um, you owe those son of a guns and two heartbreaking ball crushing losses in a row. Let's say, especially if the previous week things go awry in Ann Arbor and there's just too many big plays, you get, you can't keep up. You come back, you take on another blue blood, one that you probably should have beaten the last two years in a row. Um, I think that's an excellent spot for Iowa and, uh, yeah, I, 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 I would agree with your odds. I think, in fact, one, one handicapping trend I looked at, um, that was their Iowa play that does advanced metrics. This is their Iowa play of the year. Their recommended, their preseason recommended, you know, when, when opening lines for game of the years and stuff come out. Their play of the year, they do this for most teams. Sometimes they'll pass and say, we just don't have a, a good read on that team. But for about 75, 80% of college football teams, they'll have their preseason, you know, our numbers show this is the play of the year. Penn State was their play of the year for Iowa. Next up for Iowa, Purdue at home. And I think it's safe to say that nobody has schemed Iowa better the last two seasons combined in Purdue. And they have uh, a lot of firepower on offense coming in that again this year. Rondale Moore, maybe the most exciting player in the Big Ten. And, you know, who knows if that uh, wide receiver from Indianapolis, true freshman, if he's going to get in the field and play, probably will. Guy that Iowa and several schools really wanted. I... I've always been uncomfortable with Peru back in the, the Brock Spack era because their defense was just so good uh, and their offense was funky. Now it's just Jeff Brom is an offensive mastermind. So I give Iowa a 55% chance in this. I, I almost – heck, I should probably give it a toss-up. I mean, I would favor Purdue on a neutral field. And based upon how Purdue's been out scheming Iowa, come at me. Well, we're getting into the heart of a gauntlet now here. Where, 
your season is defined by a stretch, but it's not two or three games. It's one, two, three, four, five, it's six games. You know, and that's gonna that's gonna put a strain on your uh on your depth. Now what I like about this spot though is that one, you have the revenge against Purdue for what happened last year. Two, you're back at home after playing Penn State there. So that lessens the likelihood of a letdown factor. It's a key divisional game. What I like, though, is there, there's some nuances and differences. You know, but uh, Josh Gaddis, Michigan's coordinator, a lot of the offense that you'll see against him, he learned from Joe Moorhead when he worked for him at, at Penn State. So you've, so you've still got remnants of the Joe Moorhead offense with Ricky Rain. Um, kind of putting his own style on it, just he's not as good at it. The week before, now I think Jeff Brom obviously is at a different level of offensive coordinating from either of the two names I just mentioned. But now you're getting in a rhythm, though, where you're going to see variations and derivatives of the same offense several weeks in a row. So I think that I like I like how this is a bit of a gauntlet of a stretch, but I like the way I like this spot in it. Because you're going to see a lot of similarities um, in terms of scheme, three straight games, and so that I and I put Iowa's odds in this one maybe a little bit higher than you, but I probably would go above sixty percent. Next up is uh, Northwestern at Northwestern, team that uh, has had some very good success against Iowa not only recently. But during the uh, Kirk Ferentz era, don't need to really recount all those painful losses. You know, they have a very highly touted quarterback when he came out of high school, transfer from Clemson. And it's at Sleepy Evanston. I have Iowa as a 45% win percentage. Yeah, I think to me, it, this comes down to how good is Hunter Johnson. And now you're going to be now you're getting into this well into the second half of the season, so he's my guess would be given the limited amount of football he has played in his career, um, he's going to be a lot better starting around this time of the season than maybe that, that opening week game at Stanford when they when he's never really seen any live game action and he has to start off on the road halfway across the country. If he is if he's as good as the hype. I mean, I, I I actually think Northwestern is the better defensive front seven, and you wouldn't say that many years when you're talking about Iowa. So if he's not, um, then I could also see this is an Iowa team with this game circled uh, saying we're, we're tired of losing to these guys. We're kind of tired of these guys wrecking our season. So I, I think that's – given we're doing this on July 22nd. Really difficult to forecast that without having actual games to see. So I think you making Iowa about a three, four-point dog on the road in this game, especially given the recent history, is probably about right. Yeah, they lose to them last year 14-10. to 10. They lose to them the year before 17-10. to 10. Let's maybe yeah. get out of the 10 spot. Uh, Iowa then, after going against four consecutive teams – with, say, non-traditional pro-style offenses. 
um, to continue the theme that you had a few minutes ago with the three in a row. They get a buy and they get a retool and they are going to go to Madison, Wisconsin after the bye week to play a team for whom, even though they are replacing a ton of talent along the defensive line, they don't really have, you know, pass catching skill position players that make you too nervous. They are going to be very green at the quarterback position, although they have the best running back arguably in the sport. Uh, and a defense that I don't think is going to be retooling back to that 2015-2016 level. Uh, you, you play a 4-2-5 against Wisconsin, even with all those new offensive linemen, you might be in for some trouble. Iowa switched to that after the Wisconsin game last year. Um, I give Iowa a 40% chance of winning this game, and I'm probably giving Wisconsin a little too much historical, recent historical success. I mean, the last time that Iowa beat Wisconsin, gosh, they're like one in seven in their last eight meetings against the Badgers. So it's been, it's been a good long while. And, uh, so that's why I have it at 40%. I think that's fair. Um, I think you're in a similar situation in this game as the previous one. Just swap out the name Hunter Johnson for Graham Mertz. One of the things we get into in the Bigger Ten podcast this week as we look back at Big Ten Media Days is it certainly sounded to me in an interview I heard Paul Chris give on Sirius XM, he's really talking himself into starting that freshman quarterback. And and doing so in the kind of way of this likely isn't we're kind of we're probably a twenty twenty team anyway. So why break in a new quarterback when I've got a more experienced team next year? Yeah, we're going to lose Jonathan Taylor, but we crap running backs at Wisconsin, so I'm not worried about that. So you know, I, it almost sounded like he was kind of doing the math in his head, which is if we're going to go 7-5, and 8-4, and four, I might as well play my, you know, number 65 overall recruit in the nation now so that he's ready to go 10-2 and two next year rather than having him take a 10-2 and two team and turn it into an 8-4, and 9-3 and three team because he's not ready to play quarterback yet. So what, who's, what kind of quarterback is Graham Mertz? at this stage of the season. And the other thing I'd worry about, too, is this is a lot of physical games in a row. You know, Michigan, you're still going to play Don Brown's defense. And Iowa is still going to want to play physical. That's still going to be a physical game. You know, Penn State, that's still going to be a physical game. Purdue, you know, they've got that crazy, wild-eyed defensive coordinator. They don't mind losing football games on personal fouls. That's going to be a a physical game. Northwestern, you know, you're not walking out of, you're not, Pat Fitzgerald, whether he's good or not, somebody's breaking, somebody's walking out of there with some bruises when you're playing against the Pat Fitzgerald coach team. So that's a lot of physical games in a row. I mentioned this six-game stretch defines Iowa's whole season. If I were to narrow it down all the more, assuming Iowa loses at Michigan, they've got to win one of these two road games to win the West, I think. they got to split these two games, Northwestern and Wisconsin. you got to win one of them, I think. Yeah, and I, I think that, you know, Chris going with Mertz buys him a little bit of off-season next year, uh, relief if he does go seven and five or eight and four. Uh, I, I just think that's the, that's the play that you gotta make. Um, after that, you come, uh, back home for a pair of games, Minnesota and Illinois. Uh, I give Iowa a 60% chance of beating Minnesota. I'm still not as sold on them as you are. Um, but you're not the only person that is sold on them for this year. Yeah, but I think those odds are about right. I, what I'd be concerned about is 
What's Iowa's physical state coming out of that gauntlet heading into this game? I, I would be that that would be my number one overall concern. If Iowa is relatively healthy, you come out, you you play maybe as as tough the back to back road games as any Big Ten team has on their schedule this year, and you come home for the for the Florida Rosedale game. If they're relatively healthy, this is where we're excited to be back home. We've got the emotional edge here. Um, I, I think I think the only question is where is Iowa at physically, given that gauntlet? And there's no way to know that on July 22nd, right? So, um, I, I but I, and so I think those percentages are, are 60, 65 percent. That's about what I put on that game. That was one of the games I had Minnesota losing in the in, in the conference. Right, right. Um, Illinois, seventy uh, percent, probably should have it higher. But um, you know, this might be it for Lovey at this particular point in the season. Uh, but that's what I have it. Yeah, it probably should be higher in the outright win. But in terms of point spreads, this is another classic letdown scenario. Well, Steve, it's Senior Day. Actually, if you look at it, teams don't teams don't cover on Senior Day nearly as much as people think. That's kind of a fan trope, you know, but senior day for a lot of teams is as much a distraction as it is anything else because right. longer introductions, the family's all there, everything else. Um, yeah. So, so I mean, I was not going to lose that game, but I, I could see that being a game where maybe they went to buy seven, 14 to 17 points instead of, you know, 21 or more. Or 63. Um, like last year. Uh, I, I yes. think homecoming or homecoming is also a fan trope too. Um, most every player I've ever talked to that's played For the, the game. For the most part, we, I agree. We don't even know that it's homecoming. Um, and then lastly, at Nebraska, um, you know, it's all about the health of Adrian Martinez at this point in time. You know, is, is yep. he going to be, is he going to be healthy? Is he going to be really healthy? Is he going to be dinged up? He was, you know, he wasn't 100% last year when Iowa played. I think he missed a game or two prior to the, to that spot. And man, he, Iowa wins on a, on a last second field goal. I have Iowa's win percentage in this game at 45%. I'd put it a little bit higher. I mean, I have this as a loss for Iowa in my projections, but I, I'd put it, you know, like 52 48, 51 49. Because I think, I think Iowa is better everywhere else except at quarterback. Um, but I think the, the talent is not, I don't, I, I don't, I, I don't think the gap between Nate Stanley, given the style of team he plays for, I mean, Adrian Martinez is a lot better prospect. All right. But in terms of the system that Nate Stanley is in and his experience level, um, I don't think there's a, a large gap between him. And I think, Given the style Nebraska plays, um, I think that narrows some of the talent gap between these two teams too. So I, I, to me, I think this entire game just comes down to is Adrian Martinez healthy? If he mm-hmm. is, you know, then I think Scott Frost uses this as if they don't pull that upset against Ohio State early in the year, you know, which could be like a game day kind of a game in late September. If they don't pull that upset, then I, I could see if Martinez is healthy. Scott Frost, this is their program-defining moment uh, for the Huskers to win this game. If he's not healthy, then I, I think Iowa goes in there and controls the line of scrimmage. 
I agree with you. I think the game really comes down to uh, Martinez's health, period. So if I added up the games that I thought Iowa had a, you know, a higher than north of 50% winning chance, it was seven. And south of a 50% chance of winning, it was five. Uh, Iowa's five road games at Iowa State, at Michigan, at Northwestern, at Wisconsin, at Nebraska. I've seen some type of either preseason magazine or way too early ESPN top 25 poll. I've seen every single one of those teams be ranked in at least one poll. When I look over at the um, the magazine consensus poll over at Stassen.com, right now they have Athlon, Street & Smith, Lindy, Phil Steele, Simplified Football, Media Polls, Computer Ratings, ESPN, FPI. Four of those five road games, road foes for Iowa, are all ranked in the top 24. So it's a very, very difficult schedule. I think Iowa is a better football team talent-wise than 10, if not 11, of these teams individually on their schedule. That's not how it's done. So – I went with Iowa going eight and four. I see ten and two as the absolute peak because of the schedule. I see nine and three is not unrealistic at all. Eight and four is where I land. I, I mean, I hate to quit, keep echoing you, but my numbers totally agree with you. I mean, when you when you work your percentages into a win total, you're basically saying their win total is seven and a half. That you do think it's right on the line between going seven and five, eight and four. But what's their win total in Vegas right now? Seven and a half. So, you know, when you line up with the guys who are better at this than anybody in the world, I'm not going to argue with you. I I think your, and your, your assessment is exactly what my numbers came to. In terms of depth and overall talent, with the exception of an Epinesa, there may not be as many explosive players as the team Iowa had last year when he had two first-round tight ends for the first time in the history of the sport. Um, But in terms of their overall depth of of personnel on both sides of the ball, this is the deepest team Kirk Ferentz has had since maybe 2000 and uh, 2010. But the schedule is – it's a Russian gulag. The schedule to me is just too tough. And while this is the deepest team that Ferentz has had, it is still not an overly explosive one, and it's not a dynamic recruiting one, meaning that I would take Iowa's roster over Purdue's, but it's not so much better than Purdue's that having Iowa get beat up playing that gauntlet of a schedule, and Purdue's not playing any – a hard schedule, an easy schedule either. I mean, they're playing two power five teams, which is rarely done nowadays in the non-conference, you know, and I know one of them's Vanderbilt, but Vanderbilt was in a bowl game last year and they play in the SEC and the other one is TCU. And those are both going to be very physical games, but you get the point I'm trying to make, which is the talent. I'd rather have Iowa's roster than any other roster in the West, but it's not so much better than every other team in the West that, you can't just completely bypass the schedule. And I've been a little surprised that some people who in Iowa media that you and I both like, that are not prone to delusions of grandeur and flights of fancy here. You know, they're not, they're not right. They're not right in the uh, quiet confidence columns in Iowa City. God rest his soul that Jim Zobel used to call you and I up in his spare time and tell us about. Okay. These people don't do stuff like that, and a lot of them are picking Iowa to win the division. 
And I wonder how much of that is that they really think that that, that schedule is manageable or they're just not sure how good the rest of the teams in the division are. Um, and I, I'll go back to what I said before. I'm, I'm taking a bit of a flyer on Minnesota. My numbers show they're close enough. That they, have the, they have the most favorable schedule of all the other teams in the division that are it could be construed as, as competitors or contenders other than, say, Illinois. But like when you and I talked about my preview, if I, if, if I knew how – if I had any idea – how good Hunter Johnson is. And, you know, this was a guy that was rated by all the services higher as a prospect than Tua coming out of high school. If I, if I had a, a better idea of how good Hunter Johnson is, then, you know, I, I you asked me and I said, I, I thought, or maybe I just volunteered it. If I'm going to be wrong about Minnesota, I think it's going to be because Hunter Johnson is better than we thought and Northwestern wins the thing again. Because they have the same schedule Minnesota does. They they also are the other are one of the other. There's three teams I think that don't play two of the three: Penn State, Michigan, and Ohio State. And Minnesota's one, Northwestern's another. So that that to me is the unanswered is the is the big question to be answered in this division. Because I think Northwestern's defensive front seven is the second best in the conference behind Michigan State's. So if if they've got now, I'm not saying that their personnel is as good as Ohio State's or Michigan's, but in terms of the combination of production personnel and the and the schedule they play, if Hunter Johnson is 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 anything like his recruiting rep, then I mean you combine that with the front seven Northwestern has on defense, and then I think they might have the best lineup in the league. But we don't know that right now. So I, I just don't think the talent at Iowa is good enough that it, it can be that much better than all of those road games. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you right now that if I had if, – if Ohio State or Michigan, who are easily the two best recruiting teams in the conference, and Penn State's probably like right behind those. So let's, if, if any of those three – maybe Penn State's not a good example this year because they lost so much, okay? So Ohio State and Michigan, my roster numbers say they clearly are – better than have better rosters than any other team in this conference is not even close if they were playing that right if michigan was playing that road schedule i'd probably pick michigan go nine and three i'd probably pick ohio state to go nine and three too because i'm picking both to go ten and two as it is they're playing iowa's road schedule i'd give them at least another loss that's how difficult i think that schedule is it is indeed so that was that And we hope you enjoyed this installment of the HN Podcast. For Steve, I'm John. We'll talk to you soon.